Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce my guest, I just um, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for sharing it with others. Thank you for going to Apple and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for the book that I've written at Amazon and Desert Book for leaving a review. Those are things you can help. You can't donate to the podcast. There's no donation trail here. It's just a labor of love. But those things you can do to help. Purpose of this podcast, as you know, is to magnify the voices of those that we don't hear as much in our faith and so we can do better. And I felt impressed to step in the space as an ally to amplify the voice of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And we've done hundreds of podcasts, and every podcast is different. And um, I assume this podcast will be different today and helpful and insightful, and we pray that you'll feel the Spirit. My guest and I said a prayer, and our hope is that his story will help you. If you're closeted, if you're out, if you're a parent, if you're a local leader, that just the things that my friend shares will be helpful. So to introduce um, my friend, my his name is Eli Wood. Welcome to the podcast, Eli. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Eli is 22. He's a gay Latter-day Saint. He recently graduated from BYU-Idaho. Um, he, I'll let him talk about his career in a second. He's just going to share, He's since he's younger, um, he'll share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. And this is what really... I've known of Eli, and we've traded messages for a while, but he hasn't been out broadly. So this, in some way, is this coming out podcast to a larger audience, his close family and friends know, but this will be a chance to come out and tell his full story to a larger group of friends and family. So is that okay for an introduction, Eli? Yes, that's great. Thanks so much. <laughs> tell us about BYU-Idaho, what you graduated in and where you work now and what you hope to do with your career. Yeah, so I, I started at BYU-Idaho in September of 2018, and I studied psychology with an emphasis in health psychology. And my long-term goal is to get a master's in uh, counseling. I want to do marriage and family therapy with a focus on um, LGBT youth and young adults and um, faith crisis and faith transition. Um, but yeah, I right now I'm a flight attendant, which doesn't really fit into that degree category. <laughs> but as I was applying to different careers after my degree, I saw the list of all of them and they just, none of them sounded very appealing to me. And don't make a lot of money with a bachelor's in psychology. <laughs> the goal is definitely to get a master's. And so I applied to this flight attendant job and I got the job and training was just such a blast and I've really enjoyed it. And I, I hope to continue this for a while and hope to continue it while I do my master's. That's great. I love what you're doing right now. It's a great industry to be in. There's a bit of tension in your industry, as you know. Um, but I love the travel benefits and the world that you can see through that kind of work and connecting with people. I love your graduate, I love your undergraduate degree, Eli, and what you want to do. And when I meet somebody at your age, I just and have a feeling for what they want to do. I kind of want to put my hands on their back and say, go for it. What you um, want to do is really needed and you can do it. And it's kind of wonderful to have a feeling of what you want to do and to go on for graduate work is awesome. Tell our listeners where you grew up and a little bit about your family. How many kids, um, where you fit in the family? 
So I grew up in Middleton, Idaho. It's about 30 minutes outside of Boise. It's kind of a small farm town. It is growing, but it does have that farm town feel. I am the fourth of six kids, three boys, three girls. Uh, my mom is a librarian. My dad's a seminary teacher. And um, just growing up, just had a wonderful family. It's been fun having a lot of siblings, and it's cool to see how our relationships have changed, you know, becoming adults. I feel like it's definitely gotten a lot better. Um, but yeah, that's basically me. <laughs> um, talk, uh, let's, listeners, I think we'll divide this into a couple segments. Um, let's, the first segment will be everything, you know, sort of in the high school level. Um, so everything up until high school. So I'll just kind of turn it over to you to talk about I assume you're going to tell us a little bit about trying to figure out your sexual orientation um, as you share this story up until the end of high school. Yes. So as a kid, um, I felt like I had a great childhood. I I felt like um, I was an easy kid for my parents. They'd off my mom would always often point to me as the example, and this cause some rivalry with my siblings. <laughs> they would often call me the angel child and kind of taunt me with that. But, you know, I, I don't know. I couldn't help. It. I felt like I was just being myself. <laughs> um, but I, I always loved to just help out. I was always um, working with my mom inside or working outside with my dad. And I, when I started getting older, probably like six or seven I realized I was different from, from other kids my age and even my siblings. Um, I would often uh, spend more time with the adults or I, I liked things that other kids didn't like. I liked, or other boys didn't like. I liked to play with the girls at recess. Um, I liked to play house. Um, I loved flowers and gardening. I liked to sing and act. Um, I definitely had a lot more friends that were girls and I hated football. <laughs> that was often the only thing the boys did at recess, and I never, never played that. Um, but then as I started getting older, um, as a preteen and a young teen, uh, my brother and some of my cousins would often call me gay. And I didn't really know what that word meant, but I knew it wasn't anything good. It, it always hurt when they said that, and I didn't know why they said that. I just... I felt like they said that because I, you know, was different. I didn't join in with them on certain things. Um, I just knew it meant something synonymous to weak or stupid. Um, and then in middle school, I, I wasn't really into the whole dating scene. You know, when they, people start going out with each other, it's not really dating. Um, I didn't really understand that. And I wasn't, you know, attracted to really very many girls. There was one girl I remember liking, like third grade to fifth grade. Um, she had red hair and I felt like Charlie Brown, <laughs> liking the little red-haired girl. <laughs> but um, that eventually faded away. Um, but um, I realized I was attracted to guys probably um, in middle school as well, probably sixth, seventh grade. Um, I got involved in pornography, and by then I realized that this was, you know, more than just 
wanting to be like guys or um, thinking that some guys are just, you know, buff or attractive or cool. Um, and I'd often um, try to watch straight porn to um, force myself into, you know, liking girls and being attracted to, you know, women's bodies because that's what I was, you know, supposed to like. And that's what the other guys were talking about. Um, Thanks for being so honest and vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and then let's see, in high school, I I was very involved in a lot of different things. I did cross country. I did choir, show choir, theater. I was seminary council president. I had lots of friends, very active in church, priesthood leadership. Um Something funny is I, I always thought I was more, you know, chaste and virtuous than the other guys my age because they'd often be talking about like kissing or making out with girls. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that till after my mission because, you know, that's we're not supposed to do that right now. Um, and then, you know, eventually I realized that wasn't that was kind of a cover up, I guess. But that's that's what I believed at the time. Eli, let's talk about dating. Most um, gay men that I've had on the podcast have talked about their experience trying to date women. If that's part of your experience over the years, could you please share with us a little bit about that? So I remember in high school when dating became more prominent and my friends started dating girls and things, um, I realized that I wasn't drawn to that as much. And so um, one of my prayers every night was, um, I would say, please help me to be attracted to a girl and please help a girl to be attracted to me. And this was a very um, repetitive prayer because I would say it a lot. Um, but I started having girls, you know, become interested in me. And I was interested in a few of them, which I never thought I would be. So I, I was very surprised and happy that, you know, God was helping me out with that. And so I loved going to the school dances. I, I came up with some fun, creative ways to ask, um, the, ask a girl to a school dance. I thought that was super fun. It was, I always loved like the casual dating scene. I thought it was fun to go out with groups and do fun things. And when I was interested in a girl, um, I feel like that feeling lasted for just a little bit. And then it would kind of fizzle away into more of just wanting to be friends with them. So the feeling um, never really lasted. And something that's kind of funny is girls always had to make the first move. I was, I was never the one to, you know, go in for the first kiss or first time holding hands. I, I was very patient and okay with waiting. <laughs> and I'm sure that drove them crazy, <laughs> but I, I just didn't have that drive to initiate, you know, the first contact um, or the first move. I wasn't the first to, you know, message them or call them. It was usually them to do that as well. And I did have my first kiss at my senior prom. 
I took this girl that I liked and we were driving home and I kind of had the feeling that it might happen, but I was terrified. (laughs) And so um, I pull up to her house, we get out and walk up to her door and we're just standing there awkwardly for a while, just chit-chatting. And then like, it's just kind of silent and she's looking at me and I'm looking at her and then she's like looking at my lips, looking at my eyes, making it, you know, more than obvious that she was waiting for me to make the first move. But I wouldn't budge. But then I think she finally said something like, so are you going to kiss me or something? And and so we kissed. It was a very um, short peck on the lips but that was my first kiss and I remember I just booked it when when I kissed her and um said goodnight got in my car and drove away but I was I was really you know happy I drove home with the windows down and the music blasting I was like this is so awesome you know I I just thought like I was the luckiest guy in the world at the time (laughs) um There was a a girlfriend that I had that I came out to and it was cool because we could, we could talk about everything and it was so nice to have her to talk to, but the, like the infatuation, infatuation type of relationship started to fizzle out and we ended up breaking up and I was sad about it and I wanted to get back together. Um, We talked about trying to be friends, but it was, you know, hurting her a lot whenever I said I wanted to be more than friends after we decided to just be friends. And so her solution was to cut me out of her life um, because, you know, that was the easiest for her. And the the thought of that was really scary because um, here I had this girl that knew about my sexuality. She was one of the only people who knew And I knew I could always talk to her about it. And she was now shutting me out. And so that was, it was a scary feeling to be losing that. And so I continued to text her and try to call her for a while because I just couldn't get over what I thought at the time was being in love with her, but was actually me trying to get over just having, you know, someone that close to in my life to talk about everything. And so that went on for a while. And after... It wasn't until like a year later when I came to the conclusion that I, you know, I wasn't in love with her. I was just in love with that relationship and that friendship. And finally, I I said a prayer um, instead of asking God for her to, you know, forgive me and like me again. I I finally said a prayer once regarding this girl that went along the lines of, please help me to move on from this relationship. And please help us both to find the joy we deserve in the future. And after months of feeling like I would, you know, forever feel unsettled unsettled about the situation, I felt a huge weight lift off me. And I knew the Savior just lifted that away. And he would sort out, you know, the mess and I could move forward. And I realized now that um, it was a huge lesson for me to learn on you know, not actually being in love with someone, but figuring out the difference between, um, you know, if someone was meant to be in a relationship with me or just meant to be in a close friendship with me. And 
that's what I, that's something I learned with that. Um, there was one time where um, a girl's parents found out about me being attracted to men after they were reading her phone messages um, because I want one time I, we were talking about it over text and I told her that and her, her parents took her phone and they read that. And then I, I just realized after that, um, well, she told me that they, you know, they read those messages. Um, but I realized how her parents started to be more distant after that took place. And it was, it was just kind of hard for me to, you know, see that, um, see how they looked at me differently or treated me differently. There was, there was a time when I was talking to a girl in college and, um, one time her, her dad called me, um, out of the blue and it was really, it was really random and I just had a really terrible feeling about it, but he called me and he was like, he was like, my daughter needs to focus and she doesn't have time to talk to you right now. She needs to focus on school. And that, it felt really weird because, you know, like who doesn't go on dates in college and <laughs> isn't that what college is about? It's about, you know, dating, finding a boyfriend, girlfriend, getting married. <laughs> um, that's what we're taught. So it was weird to hear that from him. And I really, I felt this is my perspective as I felt um, as if it wasn't about her focusing on school, but him not wanting, you know, a gay guy to be talking to his daughter and, you know, having to deal with that. There was a time where a mom of a girl I was talking to ended up telling a mom of one of my guy friends that I shouldn't be roommates with him because I was attracted to men and I could do something to him while living together. And I was close friends with this guy. And he ended up telling me that story about a year later from the time his mom and the girl's mom that I, I was talking to had that conversation. Um, and that hurt a lot to, to have, you know, a, a mom talking about me behind my back to another mom um, spreading rumors about who I was or what I would do to my friends. I thought that wasn't really correct. Um, but thankfully, my guy friend's mom, she knew me well enough to know that my attraction had nothing to do with my morality or the way I interacted with my guy friends. So she wasn't worried about me at all, which I'm very grateful for. But it hurt a lot to be viewed by that girl's mom as nothing more than my sexuality. And that my sexuality was somehow paired with being a predator or dangerous. And it was sad to see that this girl's mom thought of me in that way. And it was hard um, for people not to see me for who I actually was <laughs> at the time. Like, I, like, I don't, I didn't know why, uh, like, I was like this. I was just as confused as, you know, these people who found out. I, I don't know. I, I didn't know. And it, it hurt for them to treat me like that. Um, a lot of the times throughout the dating process or my dating years, I would, I would often go to a church and just cry and pray because nothing was working out with girls. My prayer for the longest time was, please fix me or please help me to like girls. And 
then finally it changed to, please help me to know what to do with this. And when I said that in my prayers, I felt the Spirit so strong and more than I ever have in a prayer. And something, a big lesson I learned with prayer is that sometimes I think we need to look at things or ask things in a different way. Because if we are praying and asking God a question, when we already have the solution in our head, um, I don't think God can really work with that. I think we have to be open to an answer we weren't expecting or an answer that doesn't quite make sense to us at all. Um, because I've learned that most of the time, the spirit is not logical. The spirit is spiritual and it's of God and we are not the same as God. I can't remember which scripture it is, but it's kind of, it's kind of like where God says, my ways are not your ways. Um, but yeah, that I, I finally realized that, you know, the solutions that we have as mortals, you know, might not be what God wants us, um, the way God wants us to solve our, some of our problems. And I also, I learned that I don't think God can, um, God can't give us something that's not meant for our journey or meant for our spirit. I, he can't, I don't think he can contradict that. And so, um, from this point forward, I started being more real with God. I knew that if I was more real and open with God, that God would be more real and open with me. And my prayers have changed ever since. Um, President, one of President Nelson's talk really influenced how I pray. He said something about how we should pray to God with the very longings of our heart. And I started doing that. I started having less of a, a filter when I pray and just, you know, poured out my soul and poured out my true desires and true worries and, you know, hopes and fears and the very longings of my heart, like President Nelson said. And I feel like I've increased my relationship with my heavenly parents more so by doing that. Um, something, something else with prayer is I, whenever I pray, I view um, God as more of a mom and dad figure rather than some single authoritative, authoritative being. And when I pray, I often picture Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother together. And I feel the Spirit a lot more when I pray this way. I, it, it feels right to me and it feels like like my connection to them is a lot stronger. I feel very, very close to them when I do that. And so I guess overall my, my experience with dating girls has um, greatly impacted my spiritual growth and, and what my relationship with God and prayer looks like. And so for that, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that, you know, the past few years of trying to date girls was difficult and hard and just depressing at times. And I, I just learned a lot about how, how I need to pray and how, um, my relationship with my heavenly parents needs to be strengthened. Another big lesson that I learned with 
um, trying to date women is that people are not going to like me no matter how hard I try to change their mind about who I am. I, I think I learned early in life to not waste my time and energy trying to please everyone because I can do all that I can to be a good person, but many people will, will zoom in on the fact that I am attracted to men and categorize me as a bad person. But I know and I know God knows who I am on the inside and what my heart looks like. So I'm going to focus on that. I, I used to be full of so much anger towards others who saw me in a negative light. Um, I used to be so mad at, you know, these girls' parents and um, how these girls treated me sometimes after, you know, we stopped talking um, because it, it hurt for them to view me in a negative light when I was, you know, trying to figure out just as much as they were trying to figure out like who I was and what this was. Um, but I realized that others, pe- that other people's perceptions of me is none of my business and that I need to focus more on, you know, how God views me and um, be the best that I can be for my heavenly parents and not worry too much about what other thought other people thought about me. Um, Eli, on behalf of our listeners, thanks for being so honest and vulnerable and your courage and your great heart and walking a really complicated road the very best you can. Obviously, your 20-year-old, two-year-old self would go back and kind of help you along the way here, but I think you did a really good job. I don't think Eli or anybody means any ill will towards anybody. This is just his story, and I think sharing your story helps others um, to understand you know, the best way to support, understand everybody's road. Um, so I'm glad you shared as much as you did. Um, listeners, we occasionally talk about pornography. Eli was pretty open about that. Um, some of the best men I know and women from my YSA assignment um, were viewing pornography with a desire to kind of end that. Um, some people, my feeling, and I've shared this before, is pornography is a window into someone's sexual orientation that doesn't change it. I think you're even trying to change it watching straight porn. And so pornography is, um, and I don't think it should, and your sexual orientation, I don't think should be compared to being to pornography. Sometimes you may hear that. Um, addictions are something people need to try that lead to a bad outcome. Being gay, and you may talk about this as an inherent trait. And so I think it's sometimes we compare those two and I think it's not accurate. And being gay doesn't lead to a, be a bad outcome as you're learning firsthand from personal revelation from your heavenly parents. Um, so I thought you did a really good job. I loved um, the shift in your prayers. This is powerful. Sometimes listeners, there's things that are helpful for all of us wherever we are. Um, my prayers change from the desire of your heart which was please help me like girls, which is a good desire because you have a path forward that's s- simpler to please let me know what to do with this. What a really insightful prayer, Eli. And what an insightful insight for all of us, given the realities of our own lives, whatever is going on in our own lives that may be different than what we had hoped for or, or what we dreamed of is what to do with that. And then how the revelation came. 
And that's a principle that scales to all of us. So thank you so much for that. That was just really helpful. I love the way you visualized heavenly parents. And when you did that, um, that helped personal revelation. I think it's one of the most powerful parts of our restored doctrine. I think it's something we'll learn to talk more about. And um, I don't know how that exactly will work, but I love that you're making it work in your life and not waiting for us to tell you how to make that work. You're just recognizing that's helpful for you. So um, let's take any, and I'll just let you now go to college unless there's anything you want to say on anything I said, and I'll just turn it back to you. Um, I started going to counseling after high school um, to kind of deal with the pornography problem. And that's when a passion for me opened up about mental health. And I, I was amazed when I, when I first got done with my session, I think I went to my car and cried and I was just like, wow, like, why did I not do this earlier? Or like, why is not everybody doing this? Why is not everybody going to therapy once a week? You know, um, we go, you know, we go to the doctor to get our checkups, but why don't we go to therapy? You know, maybe <laughs> once a year at least. Um, but that's something that really drove my passion for mental health and why I studied psychology and want to be a therapist myself is I consider my therapist to be one of my heroes and who I aspire to be like. Um, but she, she has, she continues to be my therapist and she's definitely helped me navigate this path and she lets me navigate it a lot myself. She doesn't tell me what I need to do. She just tells me how to, you know, get answers or something that really stuck with me that she taught me is if something brings you peace, then it's of the spirit. And I definitely agree with that. I feel like when something brings me peace, I feel like it's from God. And when I, when I don't have peace or don't, you know, feel peace in my life, I feel like it's definitely because of some of the choices I'm making or because, you know, something I may believe isn't true. And so that's kind of what I've um, based my testimony or my beliefs on is what brings me peace. Um, so I guess we can start talking about more uh, my college life. I, I started college in fall 2018 at BYU-Idaho. Such an amazing experience. I made so many friends there. And that's when I, I came out to my parents um, a few months later in February. I wrote them an email because I felt like I could not tell them in person. <laughs> I feel like I couldn't even talk to them on the phone. So I just wrote an email. Um, I'm a very, uh, what's, what's the word, passive aggressive person. And I, um, I like to, I like to write out my thoughts. So I knew if I could just write out everything, then it'd be a lot easier instead of, you know, trying to have that conversation and me just becoming frustrated. So I could just get everything out, give it to them, let them, you know, stew on that and then respond later. And so I sent them that email and um, I got a response from my mom and she was just very loving and understanding. And she, I feel like she's been prepared, you know, to have, um, an LGBTQ child. She has, I think, she has one sister who is married to a woman and they have a child and she has two, two brothers who are gay and um, 
one of her nieces. Um, she's she is engaged to a woman, and they have two kids. And so it's definitely you know not been foreign to her. Um, but I I didn't think she expected that from her family. I she is one of seven siblings. She's the oldest. And she's always been very stalwart and proactive in the church, um, the most out of her siblings. And so I feel like, you know, I feel like her mindset before was kind of like, okay, if I just, you know, keep my kids in the church and keep, um, you know, my testimony strong, everything will work out as it's supposed to. And I think me telling her this was kind of like a, uh uh-oh, like it's not working, you know. Um, But she's come a long way with that. My dad... His response, he well, he's a seminary teacher, so he's very familiar with the church and the church doctrine um, and church resources. And so he sent me a big uh, yellow manila envelope full of conference talks of anything LGBTQ related. <laughs> and I pulled that out and I was just like, I have read every single word. Um, in this packet because, you know, throughout middle school and high school, I was dealing with this and coming to terms with it. And so I'd scoured the church and the church resources for everything on the topic. And so I read everything um, that's been said, good and bad. And um, some of the talks he's sent were both good and bad, but it's everything that I have read before. Um, and then me and him have not really talked about it that much. There was a couple conversations in the beginning where he he was just like, "How like how can you be attracted to guys?" <laughs> or like, "That's not natural." And I'm like, "I have no idea. <laughs> I just know what I'm experiencing. I I don't know." But his comment about it not being natural, I was like, "Well, I think there's a lot of things that aren't natural that we." you on a daily basis, like driving a car or um, flying an airplane. I don't think that's not very natural at all. Um, But that's where it kind of went with my parents and coming out to them. Me and my dad don't really talk about it that much. Um, But my, my sister, who I grew up with, she is two years younger than me. And we've always called each other our twin. We're pretty much the same height and body build. And when I came out to her, she came out to me a few months later and I was like, oh my goodness, this whole twin thing isn't a joke. (laughs) We're more alike than we actually thought. And so it's been cool to have her. And I think her coming out also helped my dad be more accepting and understanding too, um, because she was, she was the very sports child and my dad coached her in a lot of things. And so him realizing, oh, it's, you know, it's not just an Eli thing. Like this is. This is both of them, you know, I, th- I feel like that really stopped him and helped him realize like, okay, this is more than what I thought it was, but we haven't talked about it too much, but my mom has been very supportive. She, she and I both went to North star together in March of 2020. Um, and she's come a long way with so many conversations with people and other moms of LGBTQ kids. And she even she even bought a pride flag this past summer, which is really cool. Um, seeing her, you know, five years ago, she would have never, ever have done that. So it's just amazing to see how people can change one conversation at a time. Um, 
But there's a funny story that goes with that. She she bought the pride flag and asked my dad if she could hang it up. And he, of course, said no. And he was like, and then eventually she was like, well, you have the American flag out there. Why can't I hang the pride flag out there too? And he was like, okay, maybe if you get, you know, a smaller one, like an eight by 10, like a piece of paper. <laughs> and she, she didn't budge on that. But then my dad had a conference one weekend and he left for that. And right when he left, she just went outside and hung it up. <laughs> and my dad got back from the conference and he didn't say anything about it, I don't think. But, but it's been there ever since. <laughs> so that's just my mom for you. She, she's great. Um, a little more about college. I, I found a support group. There's one at BYU-Idaho. And I met a lot of amazing people. It was so cool to open up to people and just feel like you've lived 90% the same life with someone else being, you know, LGBTQ and in the church. I feel like you walk in each other's shoes a lot of the way. Um, but yeah, I I had a roommate there um, named Joe. I think you know him, Joe Eldridge. And he, I think he was, he was one of the first people that like just taught me so much and was just someone I could talk to about anything. And we were, we ended up being roommates and it was just incredible to be able to talk about anything and everything. We'd always talk, you know, in the evenings when we both got back from school and work and it, it was just such a, um, a healing and beautiful environment. Joe's a good guy listeners. He's been on the podcast and his father was on the podcast with him way back. I don't know what episode, but it was hundreds ago, but just a great family. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, I guess I can kind of talk about dating. Um, I guess gay dating and BYU-Idaho don't go well together, but I did meet some people up there and it was, you know, it's, it's not a very healthy environment because it's very undercover, very, you know, covered up because it's, you know, not allowed. And so I had some good and bad experiences with that. Um, but it was, it's always a game of catch up. Um, as you've probably heard, you know, uh, you know, straight boys and girls, you know, have these experiences in high school. Um, they date throughout high school and they date in college and they have these experiences, you know, with holding hands, with kissing and all these different things. And then for me as a, a 20 year old, you know, in college and having these first real um, genuine feelings of being physically attracted to someone. It was, it was something difficult to navigate because, you know, I'm an adult, but I'm having these feelings that I was supposed to have, you know, five years ago. Um, so that was, I don't know, I feel like that was a, <laughs> kind of a mess, just figuring that out and realizing, okay, BYU Idaho is not a very good scene for you know, gay dating. Um, I wish it was more accepted because I feel like there'd be a lot more healthier relationships. I feel like a lot of people get into bad relationships or bad circumstances because, you know, they feel alone. They just want to experience, you know, a first crush or, you know, love for the first time. And then they end up with, you know, people who are abusive or just very physical and there's no emotion to it. Um, uh, something else with BYU-Idaho is 
it's 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 very hard to go to a school that you know teaches against homosexuality um but then in one of my uh behavioral neurobiology classes the teacher um taught how homosexual homosexuality was you know naturally occurring um according to science and it was just it was just so weird to hear that in a BYU Idaho class and then you know hear the complete opposite in a religion class and so I felt like I was being like tossed around like okay what is what do I actually believe or like what is true um but my religion class was I I loved my teacher she she was amazing it was eternal families and that's the class you know they talk on you know homosexuality a lot um but when when we got to that like week of lessons i feel like a lot of what she taught was just very harmful she she talked about how in uh, like the bible the volcanoes erupting were because of homosexual relationships and it was like them like throwing up and I was like, that sounds kind of, I don't know how true that is. Um, and she went off on like Taylor Swift cause Taylor Swift came out with a song that talked about people needing to calm down about um, like protesting against gay marriage. And she was just like screaming and yelling at Taylor Swift in the class, which was, it was interesting. Um, and I loved my bishops at BYU-Idaho, but there were there were a couple of things they said that I feel like were out of, you know, good intention, but just not correct at all. Um, when I first, my first bishop, I told him about my, you know, my same-sex attraction and how I was attracted to guys. And I was in a meeting with him. And one of the things he said was, he told me, he's like, well, first off, he he was like, pretend I'm not your bishop for just a second, which I feel like was a big mistake. <laughs> he was like, pretend I'm not your bishop for a second. And then he was like, what if you just, what if you just tried like having sex with a girl? I think you would like it. And that felt very confusing to me to have, you know, a priesthood leader, you know, tell me to break the law of chastity with, you know, another young woman um, if just to see, you know, if, if I liked, you know, that I, I felt like he was putting, you know, a young woman in danger, just kind of giving me permission to do that. And I, it felt very confusing to have that advice coming from a bishop. Um, and then another bishop of mine, as I was preparing to go through the temple, he told me in the temple when um, when we're learning about Adam and Eve, he's like, just pay attention to Eve. And I think, you know, when you see her, that I think a, a switch will go off and you'll be attracted to her. And <laughs> I, I mean this in the most respectful way, but I went through the Salt Lake temple and in that temple, they do live sessions and, you know, the actors are people <laughs> and, you know, Eve, Eve comes out and she's this 80 year old 
woman, <laughs> this older lady. <laughs> so according to my bishop, I am now attracted to, you know, 80-year-old women. But I feel like I could laugh about it now. But at the time, I was I was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I, I think there's just a lot of, you know, misconceptions and a lot of advice that some bishops are giving that is just very inaccurate. And I hope that we can change as we um, have more conversations with that. Um, let me jump in there a little bit, listeners. And I sometimes if these things we cringe or we just were uncomfortable when we hear something like that, we feel, you know, and I think this is one of the things we're doing in this podcast is just having hard conversations in the most respectful way. But I think it's okay that Eli is talking about these experiences because we know better, we do better. As Eli's sitting across the table here, I don't sense a lot of maliciousness, a lot of desire to make anybody feel bad. He's just trying to help us do better by sharing his story. And I think he's giving a lot of grace. And when I think of, you know, that class you're talking about, listeners, I just think we can teach the doctrine of our church without creating these narratives around it that sort of polarize us. And Eli knows the doctrine of our church, um, but we don't need to sort of make a villain out of people that are gay as part of that. It's just the reality. In fact, we could even talk about the family proclamation and talk about how, like Elder Ballard did, more than half of our members are not even married. And um, how many of them, straight or gay, but particularly gay, have no path ever to be um, in a in a straight marriage because of your sexual orientation. So the family proclamation can be difficult because there's no way to make that active in some people's lives. So I think we could even evolve to teach our doctrine, but talk about people within our faith that don't have the opportunity to make that real in their lives and what we can do to help them feel like they belong, given the reality of their situation versus sort of polarizing comments that sometimes do bring us together and um, create common enemy intimacy is what I call, but really don't bring us all to Christ. I think one of the things we try to do as parents or as priesthood leaders and is we try to solve everything by putting it back in a nice tidy box. So we're doing a lot of things to make straight, Eli. Um, and there's just things that you're hearing from different adults in your life. And I think one of the things I've learned is this is who you are. Um and so our job is instead of trying to have you fit in by somehow making you a, a round peg again, which represents a straight Latter-day Saint, and there's lots of round holes where we have to accept that you're a square peg and this is how God created you. So it's on us to help you feel like you belong versus always trying to figure out some way to make you into a round peg. You've been doing that your whole life, especially before college, and you've learned to accept this part about yourself. And I think we need to then create a feeling of belonging. This is who you are. And it's a good thing. And it's part of the needed diversity that Paul talks about in Corinthians. So uh, these are just good experiences to help us do better. So I'll send it back to you to keep talking. Yeah. So uh, let's see. At one point I, I was so frustrated, you know, with the advice I was getting from my bishops I wanted to do something, you know, about just sparking conversation, creating conversation, t sharing people's stories with these, um, with church leaders, just to 
get their perspectives out there. Cause I feel like a lot of what happens is, you know, these church leaders grow up with one perspective and then they don't have, you know, an LGBTQ person's perspective and offering their advice to, you know, an LGBTQ person without them ever, you know, considering how it's, it's more than just, you know, a choice, which is what it's been taught a lot is it's a choice, um, has resulted in a lot of, you know, weird advice or just hurtful conversations, hurtful teaching. And so I, I talked to Joe about compiling a a packet of letters just from LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that we could send to church leadership in Salt Lake City. Um, And I didn't know like how effective that would be or what would become of that. But I just, I wanted them to read other people's stories and just have that regardless of, you know, we didn't go into sending these letters to like demand change or um, disagree with policy. We just, these letters were, we, we compiled a letter to send to, to people that was just very, you know, humble and just asking people to share their stories and to not be harmful to the church or um, harmful to any of the church leaders, but just to share um, their perspectives on how they've grown up and what they've experienced. And so we, we compiled these letters. I think we, I think we got like 30 to 40 stories and we, this was at BYU Idaho. We went to the library. We just printed them all out there. There was so much paper and we, we got these all organized into different packets and we put them in big envelopes. And then we sat there and addressed each envelope. Each person that we wanted to read these letters. Um, we sent a packet to each member of the first presidency, including our prophet, president Nelson and his two counselors, president Oaks and president Irene. And then we addressed one to each of the members of the quorum of the 12 apostles And we also sent one to each current president of the other major organizations of the church, including President Bingham of the Relief Society Presidency, President Corden of the Young Women's Presidency, President Owen of the Young Men's Presidency, and President Jones of the Primary Presidency. To get these stories out to them. And so we we got all these mailed out and then, you know, expected nothing to come of it. And then I... I think it was maybe a month or two later, I got a letter in the mail and it was the, the return address was, um, I think, you know, church headquarters. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm in trouble. (laughs) I was really scared that, you know, president Nelson was, I don't know, writing me something. Um, but then I opened it and it was a response from, uh, the first presidency secretary, and just thanking us for those letters and thanking us for the tone we had with those letters and how we, you know, just wanted to share those stories. And it was just, it was really cool to just even get that acknowledgement and to know that um, they were thankful for that. So that was, that was a really cool experience. Um, and then some other experiences I've had with my mom in talking with church leadership she, I think she's been more proactive than me. <laughs> I feel like I've been pretty shy, mostly because I'm 
not public about who I am. And so I've been kind of hesitant to talk with people about it. But she she was like, hey, I scheduled a meeting with um, the bishop of our home ward. And I scheduled a meeting with the stake president. <laughs> and we're... We're also good friends with the Area 70 of our area because he used to be our state president. And so she, she scheduled a meeting with him too. And I was just like, mom, what are you doing? Like, I don't even know what I'm going to say. Like, I don't, I, don't even, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know what I'm comfortable, you know, saying. And she's like, it's fine. We're just going to talk to them. And so I wasn't going to go, but I, I knew deep. I felt the spirit tell me like, you just need to go. Like, just go be present and share your experience. Um, it doesn't matter what they think of you. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters except that you just share your life with them. What, you know, what goes through my head every day, what, what the church means to me. And so we did that and we had some incredible conversations. Um, we, you know, we were all in tears at one point as I shared a quote from Monica Phillips. I think, you know, Monica, Yeah, I, I don't have the quote with me. I don't know if you keep talking. I'll see okay. if I can find the quote, <laughs> but the, it, it's probably one of the best quotes I have ever heard regarding, um, LGBTQ people. It I think it totally shifts the, the story that we've been told how, um, it's always the church verse the LGBTQ people and agenda, but this, I feel like this quote. It might be this top one, but we're kind of winging it, listeners. Yes. Is it okay if I read that? Yeah, go for it. So it says, I don't believe Satan's work is to deceive people into being LGBTQ. Instead, Satan takes these precious children of God and tells them they are worthless. He tells them that there is no place for them in God's plan. He tells them God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. Satan also resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His goal is to tear apart families and drive people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's succeeding, but not because this group has been deceived and are now gay or trans. He's succeeding because he's keeping us from coming together as the body of Christ and loving with pure Christ-like love. We could do better to help heal those members who are hurting and feel they have no place with us. Every member is vital. Without them, we cannot function as a church to our fullest potential. The answer to overcoming Satan, strengthening family, and bringing people to Christ is love. And I just remember sharing that with that quote with those leaders. And it was such a powerful experience for me. And I feel like everything that she said in that is just, it just brings so much peace to my heart. And I know I have a testimony of, what she said in that quote. Um, it's a great quote. I think it's really cool. Your mom is, you know, meeting because when we know better, we do better. And, you know, I, my heart changed by, for those of you who don't know my stories, I was a singles word bishop and just had priest responsibility for gay men and listened to gay men for the first time in my life, really tell me what it was like to be gay. And, and so I, I think we just do better when we listen to people that we don't, we just don't know about. And I love this experience you've had with your mom and local leaders. So I'll keep telling your story, doing a great job, Eli. There's a great spirit here too, by the way. 
Yeah, so I I also just wanted to touch on um, the first book I read regarding um, being a Latter-day Saint, being LGBTQ, was, I believe, Tom Christofferson's book, That We May Be One. I, I think I saw that in Desert Book, and I, I think I secretly bought it off Amazon because <laughs> I didn't want anyone to see it. But I bought that book, and I read it, and I was just amazed that there was you know, someone like me who was in the church, but also experienced um, this life experience. And um, and then that got me on a, you know, a big journey of just reading everything I could and learning. And um, I love Becky McIntosh's book, Love Boldly. I love Charlie Bird's book and Ben Shalati's book. Just, just amazing. Um Oh, and when I read Becky McIntosh's book and she talked about her her son, Sean, one of the experiences that he shared was something so similar to me. I found it kind of eerie. I was I was like, wow, like there, <laughs> this is this is crazy. But I remember as a young kid, like maybe five years old, five, six, seven, um, like during my birthday. Uh, after you know they sing happy birthday and and they say make a wish i remember i think it was probably every single time i would say i would just be like um heavenly father please help me to get married and make it to the celestial kingdom and at that time i well right now looking back i'm like why did i say that what little kid <laughs> wishes for that for their birthday um but i think even as a little kid, I think I knew that some, someday or sometime in the future that that would be a lot more difficult <laughs> or something that I, you know, might not have because of just who I was. And it's just weird to look back and see that. But that's exactly what Becky McIntosh's son said about his birthday and I I could not believe that connection I thought that was something so unique to me but it's it's incredible to see how you know even as kids that I feel like you know you know um I feel like you know that there's there's something that's going to be difficult ahead but you don't quite know what it is but I I often just think about how um, looking back, I just think of how all the dots connected or how when I was in primary, I was, I was talking to my therapist about this recently where um, I, you know, just little Eli sitting in primary singing all the songs and I knew everything was true. I knew who I was and growing up, it just seemed like a piece of cake. <laughs> and it just seemed like as I got older, all this all of what I thought I knew or all of who I thought I was just starting to unravel. And at the time I used to think, you know, it was, you know, because of Satan or because of the world. And, and I feel like I've come to the point where I don't think that, you know, was the case. I think it was God creating me in a certain way where I would really have to develop a relationship with my heavenly parents and savior to, navigate this. And I don't feel like I would be, um, spiritual, a very spiritual person if I, you know, didn't experience this, um, 
because it's it's literally forced me, you know, on my knees to ask about this and and to learn about it and to learn about, you know, just the whole church and the gospel in general. Um, I think more so than if, you know, your life is um, put out there for you, you know, uh, primary, you go through all the steps and then mission, marriage, and you're set for eternity, I guess. But it's just, it's just interesting to see how, because of who I am, that it's just a whole different mindset and a whole different journey that I've had to create for myself. Um, I've had to, I've had to set a lot of boundaries with certain beliefs in the church um, or just don't participate in certain things that don't make me feel good or bring me peace. Um, and I've, I've really tried to make the gospel a lot more basic than what we try to make it sometimes in the church. Um, I think, you know, loving God and loving your neighbor, are the, we know those are the two greatest commandments and those two things bring me peace and joy and just knowing that I come from heavenly parents and knowing that they have a plan for me, even though sometimes I feel like the church doesn't have the plan for me. It's, it's been, it's just been good to make the gospel more personable between me and then rather than between me and the church. Doing a good job. Um, tell me about if we could have a birthday wish right here, would you, you could blow out the candle and be straight. That wasn't quite your <laughs> wish. Your wish was sort of just being the celestial kingdom be married, but if you could blow out the candle right now and be straight, would you? I don't think so. Why? Why? I I feel like I wouldn't be who I am at all from, I don't know, just every detail about me. And I feel like I wouldn't, as I said before, I wouldn't have the relationship with God that I do. I I feel like I wouldn't have a lot of empathy or sympathy for people. Um, because of this, I feel like I, um, I feel like I notice people more. I, I know that everyone has a story. Everyone has something that they experience that makes them who they are. And I think it's just so important to be kind to everybody. Talk about your trans friends when you talk about being nice to everybody. Yeah. So I, when I went to North Star, I, I, not to my knowledge, I don't think I ever met a transgender person. And I remember everything that I heard about them was so negative and, you know, just, there was lots of jokes made about them and that their experience wasn't really real. And I remember walking into, into North Star and, just having the the biggest spiritual feeling in my heart for for all these LGBTQ Latter Day Saints, it just felt like I was walking into a a giant room just full of warriors who have been battling this mortal journey, and it, it's an ex, it's a feeling and experience that I'll never forget. But I remember that I was kind of rebuked by the spirit when I, um, when I met one of Joe's friends that was transgender and I talked to them and I was like, wow, why did I ever think this way? Um, I remember that they, 
they were, you know, they were just like me, you know, they had similar interests and they just loved life. And, and then I thought to myself, well, if they're, if my experience um, with being gay is, you know, real to me, how could I say that their experience of being transgender is not real to them? And so to, to compare the two, I think was, um, incorrect for me to do. And so I believe that we should, you know, believe other people's experiences. And that's what the spirit told me in that moment is, and I feel like what the savior taught a lot too, is to believe what other people are going through and believe other people's experiences because we can't feel them for ourselves. We can't, you know, put ourselves in someone else's life, but I think that's what the savior did. He, you know, he felt everyone's, um, mortal journey and everyone's experience. And so that's why I think he, you know, is the answer because he, you know, he's felt what you felt. It's really beautiful. It's really a perfect example of what Christ did and what you did with this transgender person. And what we all need to do is hear people's stories and it brings us together as the same human family. I loved your answer about the candle blowing out. Eli, I, I used to think that, you know, we were trying, you know, I probably would have been surprised five years ago with your answer, but now I think it's, and everybody's answer may be a little different listeners. So I don't want to change your answer by Eli's answer, but I think it's a great place to be where there's no shame in who you are. Monica's quote talked about shame and your therapist has probably helped you with shame, but there's not a lot of shame as you're sharing your story. This is you. And this is who you're meant to be. There's some words that a showman that I think of one of those songs. Um, I love I, that movie. That's <laughs> yeah, a great movie. And sometimes I think of my LGBTQ friends when they just step forward in a very positive, thoughtful way and say, this is who I am. This is who I'm meant to be. And this is what makes your life possible. And, and Eli, you're 22. You're not 42 sitting here that took you two more decades to get to where you are. And that's one of the things I'm sensing in younger LGBTQ Latter-day Saints is they're moving through these phases a little faster. The shame and the self-loathing and the hate and the difficult emotional. And, and there's a lot of, and just where you are makes the rest of your life possible. It's a credit to you. It's a credit to your relationship with your heavenly parents. It's a credit to you and your understanding of the core gospel. Credit to people in your life that have stepped forward and have been helpful for you. It's a credit to the people who are having conversations around you. It's a credit to North Star. It's a credit to your friends. But it's really a credit to you, Eli. And it's, I think, you know, if you come on the podcast every 10 years, you're going to, I think you're just going to have a wonderful life ahead of you. And I think you've laid the foundation to have a good life ahead of you. I think you're in a good spot emotionally, spiritually, with your career, with feeling you want to go as part of your career. And and I realize you don't have it all figured out. My 22-year-old sons don't. <laughs> um, but you're in an awfully good spot, and you've worked really hard to get there. So you, I don't know if you have more thoughts you want to share. There's, you can keep talking. Yeah, I just... Um... I remembered one thing I wanted to share in regards to um, not serving a mission when 
when it came to that point, I, I had filled out my mission papers and um, I did my interviews with my bishop, but I, I never did my, my interview with the stake president. I kind of put that on hold for a minute because it just, it didn't really sit well with me and I didn't quite know why, but even growing up, like a mission was never something that I was proactive about. And um, something that happened in college during the time when I should have been on my mission really taught me a big lesson in how I think God will use you wherever you are, regardless of, you know, if you're on a proselyting mission or not. I think, I think this whole life is a mission. <laughs> it's our mortal mission. But I had a roommate who, who was gay and he experienced a lot of depression and we became really good friends and it was so good to have him to talk to as well. And one night I remember I, I was sitting in my bed and he came in and got in his bed and he just turned over and turned the light off and which is unusual, you know, for him because we'd usually talk. Um, and so I was just like, okay, whatever, you know. And so then I got done with, you know, reading my book and I turned the light off and turned over. And um, I don't know if I was asleep all the way or half asleep, but I remember just hearing him say my name and I immediately knew something was wrong. So I sat up and I was like, what? And he told me that he took his whole bottle of depression medication and he, his heart was beating really fast. And so I turned the light on and he was just super jittery, super weak. And um, I was like, okay, we need to take you to the hospital right now. So I went to my roommate's room, knocked on the door, woke him up. I was like, we need to go to the hospital right now. And so we took him to the hospital and he ended up having, a, I think it's called a ground mall seizure. And he was in a coma for, I think, two weeks. And the doctors, they said if if we didn't bring him in when we did, he, prob he would most likely be gone. Um, but I, I didn't think much much uh, of my, you know, part in that and until um, his mom, his mom and dad gave me just a gift from Desert Books. They're, they're just so thankful for, you know, just watching out for him. Um, but they gave me a picture of the Savior. It was a really nice picture, just framed. Um, I always admire those pictures of Desert Book, but they're so expensive, I never buy them. So I, I really appreciated that gift. And then I read the card and it was it was so thoughtful what she said. And one one line that just stuck out to me so much was she she told me that that um, um that I that it was okay that I didn't serve a mission because saving her son was my mission. And I just, at that point, I was just, the, the idea of, you know, what a mission was just really changed. And I immediately just, I just got on my knees and I prayed to, to God. And I was just like, thank you for, you know, using me. 
um, even though I didn't serve a mission. And just thank you for putting me in the right place at the right time. And it, it just, that really impacted my life. And I'm so thankful for, for her words in saying that, but I continued after that, just live my life every day, you know, just pray and ask God to put me where I'm supposed to be for that day or, you know, have me talk to the person that I need to talk to that day. And I have definitely felt, you know, I feel like there's, there's no coincidences. I think God is directing us constantly. And I think we're all on a mission every day to make this world a better place. Um, but what, what, what she said just really helped me to, to get out of that negative mindset that, oh, I didn't serve a mission. Because at BYU-Idaho, it's, it's always the first question that comes up, where did you serve your mission? I'm like, well, I didn't serve a mission, you know? And so I just always felt left out or looked down upon because of that. Um, but because of what she said, I, I feel like, you know, even though I didn't serve a full-time mission, I feel like God will use me and he'll use whoever else doesn't serve a full-time mission in every way that he needs in every way that they can. I love that story. I think that's the type of a pattern that will repeat itself your whole life is what happened in your apartment in BYU at Idaho. Maybe not as dramatic, but I think that's, um, as you look back on the long view of your life someday, Eli, I think what happened in BYU-Idaho will happen again and again and again. And you'll be a great healer and a great rescuer. And I think it's a credit to your parents that they've grounded you in this relationship with your heavenly parents. I think that's partly how you came, but I think that's partly a credit to your parents and bringing the gospel. And this this most important part of the gospel is the personal revelation and relationship with heavenly parents. And I love the way you've just navigated your life the way you're supposed to. And... Uh, um, explored a mission, but then felt that wasn't your path. I hope listeners, we don't create a culture to be a faithful Latter-day Saint and you have to serve a mission. And I love that story. I think a lot of people will resonate with that story that felt their path isn't to serve a mission. And uh, there's scriptures about you save one. <laughs> how great is the kingdom of, how great is the happiness? And so that's a physical, literal saving of somebody. So that's a, pretty touching story. I'm glad you shared that. Any concluding thoughts? We're kind of coming to the end, but I'd love to just hear if you've got any more concluding thoughts. Yeah. So I, I did want to touch on the temple just a little bit more. Good. Um, so I, at the time, you know, when everyone, when all my friends were going on missions, they're going through the temple and I was like, okay, well, do I go through the temple if I'm not going on a mission? Um, and so I, I just put it off for a while cause you know, I didn't want to just go to the temple just cause everyone else was doing it. I knew it was something that should be, you know, uh, thought about a lot more. And so there was a time, um, when I, I think it was December, 2019 when I, when I went through the temple and as I, pre I was preparing for that, I just felt like it was the right time. And I feel like God will just tell you when something's right. Um, and so I, I prepared myself for the temple and I went through the temple. Um, 
And I remember when I first went there, I just felt such a feeling of just such a feeling of home. And I don't think I don't think any time I felt excluded or or targeted or isolated for my my sexuality. I guess for some reason I thought like it would be talked about. I mean, there is definitely patterns of you know man for man and woman, but I just I just felt really safe um, in the temple, and um, I remember when it talked about the creation and how God created so much diversity with the plants and the animals and. The different, the different terrains of the earth. I remember thinking um, distinctly how, you know, if God put so much detail and diversity into those things, why would he not put that into, you know, his greatest creation of all, which is his, um, his children. And, and I, that's, that's when I, kind of realized that, you know, God made me who I am for a purpose. And even though at times it's hard to see what that purpose is or where I'll end up, I, I know that he, you know, divinely designed everybody to be exactly who they're supposed to be. And I remember one time I get a lot of, I think I get a lot of spiritual impressions when I'm just driving my car, or even when I'm just flying on the plane. I don't know what it is, just something about traveling. Um, but I remember distinctly thinking one time on a drive is, what if my mission in this life was to come to this world as a gay man? Maybe I chose this mission before coming to Earth because I wanted something challenging, something unique, but maybe I didn't really understand what being quote-unquote gay meant, but I knew it was going to be hard. Perhaps I wanted something where I could make a huge difference with a lot of hard work. And the thing is, God let it happen. I think, I think Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother knew I was capable, and they knew that I had it in me. Um... And that, that, that spiritual thought just came to me and it, it was just really powerful. Um, but yeah, I just feel like they are very aware of what's going on in the world regarding LGBTQ people. I think they're very aware of what's going on in the church. And I don't think we have all the answers. I don't think, you know, we're... Um, unified as we should be before the Savior comes. I think we have a lot of work to do, and I just hope to continue to put in the work to make that happen. Another thought I had was one of my favorite songs growing up in primary was I Belong to the Church of Jesus Christ. I, I just love that song. But I, I grew up singing, you know, I know who I am. I know God's plan. I'll follow him in faith. But emerging into adulthood, I realized I didn't really know who I was. I was scared of who I was. I was scared of what God would think of who I am. 
and I began asking myself, you know, all these questions. Why was I so confident as a child growing up? It, you know, why was I so confident in who I was and what I believed and that I had a place in the church? And then all of a sudden I grow up and I realize I'm attracted to men. Why did, why did that have such a disconnect, you know, for me knowing who I am and knowing God has a place for me? And I don't, I think that's where Satan gets his grasp on people. And that's where shame gets, you know, people in bad places. But I think, you know, I, I feel like God is more, you know, than my shame. And I feel like God just wants me to continue just being who I am and do what I can and um, stay where I am and just stay grounded in what I know to be true. It's a great closing segment, Eli. I love you went through the temple. I I generally invite LGBTQ Latter-day Saints to go through the temple, even if they're not sure of their future, because I think it just gives you added understanding of your purpose in life and who you are. The temple can be a safe place because you know all the language that's going to be communicated there, why sometimes in a congregation or in a class, there may be... A, there may be random stuff that's kind of triggering for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, but the temple, at least you know everything that you're going to hear. And, it can, and I love that you looked at that temple film and saw the beautiful diversity in that. I wrote down, as you were talking, the word Zion. And to me, Zion is what you described. And Zion isn't sameness. The city of Enoch didn't get translated because they're all the same. I think they got translated because they're unified. There was no poor among them, but they weren't the same. And I think what you shared in that in the temple um, and who you are and who you're supposed to be, I love where you feel purpose because I think it's correct that you feel tremendous purpose in who you are and and why you're here and and our understanding of the premortal life and that you those words you shared about your premortal life give rightly so purpose for who you are. I love the word warriors. Um, I wrote down the word warriors when you were describing North Star attendees, and Steve Young has used that word to describe LGBTQ Latter-day Saints warriors. And I wrote down the earlier word that you were described as, as a predator or dangerous. And those are words that you aren't. And just perhaps people that didn't understand use those words out of fear. There's a great deal of fear in this space, but as we get educated and we understand um, to me, um, education and understanding and hearing people's stories takes the fear away. And then we don't resort to some of those words because we know better. But I love the word warrior. And um, that's who you are. You may not like that label for yourself. You may not feel worthy of it. But I think you're a warrior, Eli. And I think you have a great life ahead of you. And this is sacred ground. The Spirit's been here. There's probably a lot of listeners that had tears in their eyes through many things you've said. So unless you've got any final thoughts, because um, sometimes my listeners do, my <laughs> guests do after I kind of give my final thoughts, you got the last word, Eli. Um, I don't, I guess I could just say um, one thing that I remember as a kid growing up, I read, you know, all these inspirational posters on the wall that were like, be the change you want to see in the world, um, in a world where you can be anything, be yourself. And 
for some reason as an adult, I feel like I'm, I was starting to be told no to that, but I feel like, you know, God, God wants me to just be who I am. And I think he's proud of all his LGBTQ children, even though we might not feel it at times. Um, and I also feel like if my earthly parents, you know, love me and won't kick me out of their house, I feel like, why would my heavenly parents do that? I feel like, you know, they have a place for me and I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I know they do. And I don't think they would stop loving me for, for who I am. Love that. That's Eli Wood and Richard Osler. Great final comment, Eli. I'm signing off of another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.